He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. As many of you listeners already know, I'm a big fan of these round table structures and formats for the podcast. And if I had my way, I would do a round table every single week. It gets a little crazy trying to balance all these schedules, especially with a group of high level CEOs in our industry. But I'm very glad to say that we got Demi Horvat, Steve Davis, Matthew Loney, and David Weiss all together on this round table to go over what it does it mean to be a hired gun in the industry. So many companies and startups in the short-term rental hotel hospitality category are founder led and to have CEOs that are taking the helm, steering the ship and going a direction beyond the founder zero to one vision. This is where we get to dive in deep and geek out and kind of figure out what is kind of happening in the pipeline now and what should companies and CEOs and founders alike start thinking about in 2024. In this conversation, you're going to hear us talk about product, team, culture, zero to one, venture capital, private equity, buying versus building, all the above. So without giving away the farm, I want to go ahead and just segue right into our intro and get started. So enjoy this episode. Make sure you check out the links in the show notes for all of our amazing guests that were on this podcast as they would love to connect with you as well. So here we go in three, two, one. You're listening to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, a podcast for those who are in and around the hospitality industry who love, live, and breathe what they do. You can join us for candid and unscripted conversations with hospitality experts and founders as we go deeper into their personal stories while they're sharing their triumphs and trials that got them to where they are today. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and you're listening to an episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Now, let's begin. All right, welcome back to another Hospitality.fm roundtable. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and I'm very excited because we are doing a bunch of different series and roundtables around different topics and themes with a collective amount of guests. And so today, I get to introduce some close friends that are in the industry who have been on the podcast many times before, or maybe a first-time appearance, and we're going to go into the hired guns or the CEOs that didn't start the business, but have come in and have kind of given the business a second breath of life. And today I'm excited to welcome my first group of panelists. So let's bring them on. Welcome, everybody. We have David Weiss from Wimstay, Matthew Loney from Explory, Demi Horvat from AirDNA, and of course, Steve Davis from Aperto, who has been on the show probably more times than I should let him. So welcome, everybody. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Good, thanks. Good. Yeah. Thank this is a, a dynamic group. So I'm going to start with Matt Loney because I feel like we haven't been on the same side of the microphone in a long time, my friend. And uh, it's been a while. It has been, but it's great to see your face and it's great to uh, to have you on. So thank you for joining. I want to go in from, from your perspective because when you and I first met and we had you on the podcast back in either late 2020 or early 2021, I thought you were the founder of Explory. So what does that mean to you when you hear from other people that are like, hey, you're not the founder, you're the CEO, you came in kind of as the, the 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 ship steerer, right? And so do you ever get that comment often? And if so, how do you respond? Uh, no, you know, I don't really focus much on it. I think um, I actually take that as a compliment. I, I think entrepreneurs, founders are incredibly passionate people. And sometimes I think as maybe a hired gun, if you will, or the CEO comes in to steer the ship, you know, some of that passion is lost. And um, so, I, you know, again, I, I think that's a compliment. You know, we, we, but it is true. It is not one of my skill sets. I think I'm amazed at the brilliance of founders that to, to create, you know, that zero to one, if you will, uh, is incredibly difficult. And it takes a certain skill set that I don't have. In fact, this is my third company now as as a hired gun and um, but I, I think we all have our strengths and weaknesses and so um, I, I try to carry that same passion that I that uh, that our founder had and that the founders of the other companies that I've had the uh, 
the opportunity to kind of steer for a while uh, that they've had. But uh, it is it is a very different role than a founder. And um, it, it takes you a while to, I think, get your feet under you when you're coming into a, a company that's already got its own history. It's it's got you know, it's got its own challenges. Um, sometimes it's easier to start with a blank slate and, and sometimes uh, it's a little bit harder. It just, just depends on your perspective. Well, I'm very curious. This is open to everybody. What were some of the challenges maybe that you expected or didn't expect when coming in as the CEO? And Matt, if you want to start, you can do that. If not, someone, any, anybody who uh, has an answer ready. Well, I'll just take the obvious and then I'll let the group. COVID, does that count? Her. Um, <laughs> fires of Maui, the fires in Tennessee, Hurricane Michael. No, I mean, you know, those are some things that jump out to me. I just things out of our control, but I'll turn it over to the group. Let's let's go to Steve. I'll pick on Steve a little bit because I got to meet Michael, who was a founder of Aperto back in the day, no longer there. You came in and have taken the company completely 180, three acquisitions in three years, a big accomplishment, a lot more gray hairs than you started. So like totally. for you, <laughs> was that expected? Was that not expected? Yeah. I mean, this was my first hired gun assignment, I guess. Um, you know, when I was brought in, I love company, that we're going but, with that theme, by the way, everybody, you know, when I joined the company literally on day one and I remember sitting at my desk and like all the acronyms are flying around the room. It's like, uh, PMS and OTAs and like all this rev part. I'm like, I'm sitting there. I'm literally got Google opening and I'm Googling OTA and like, and then, you know, my boss is like the ex CEO of booking.com. So like I walk into his room, I'm like, what's an OTA? And he's like, sit down my son, you know? So like, um, so I, I really started from like zero. Um, and I think that, you know, the one thing you get, or the, I think that, you know, whether it's a PE firm or the founders looking for a sort of a CEO in, in succession is you get like, you truly do get like a, a fresh set of eyes, right? Someone who comes in and doesn't know anything about anything. Um, you know, we're lucky in our space, I think, because it's really, really small. So I felt like within lit, like maybe three months that I knew 90% of the, the people that I needed to know in the space after like three or four shows, right? Um, so that was good. So I think that like the ramping time was slow or so it was quick, but you know what, I think the, the one downfall that you, you do go through when you're sort of a, you're brought in and the company might've gone from zero to one and you, know, you need to take it from one to 10, cause there's a VC behind it, um, is it's hard to, to like take the original team and to like, and to get them refocused on like a different trajectory. And so sometimes what you see is like, you do have some folks who might start quiet quitting on you might not be sort of signed up for the next part of the journey. Uh, then you get like the people that are. And so like, it's really trying to find out who is the team that you're going to like, cause you're basically taking a school bus and then you're, you're moving it to another school bus and you want to figure out who's going to get a ticket on that next bus. Right. And, and so that for me was kind of the hardest part was kind of sifting through the weeds there. But as soon as you get people aligned, I mean, it's it's like they get they rally and it's like go time. And our space is super exciting. So who wouldn't want to kind of work in it, right? Totally agree. And David, I kind of want to move to you now in a in a similar retrospect because it's interesting. I remember hearing of Wednesday prior to you joining, and then I saw the announcement through Alex that you guys joined. You guys were raising a little bit of capital. So give me that expectation. Like, did you kind of know what you're getting into when joining Wednesday? Well, I, I met Ben totally by chance in January of, of 2022. It had nothing to do with the business. And over the course of the next several months, we actually developed a relationship where we were just talking about the business. And that evolved through 2022 into talking about what we might be actually able to do with the business together. And that led to me being hired as COO in, in August of 22. And then I became the CEO. EO in January of last year. And so we actually had a lot of time talking about the degree of difficulty of how hard a business it is that he had started that now I am a part of and really kind of understanding the challenges. And so we set pretty ambitious goals, you know, starting in January last year relating to how we're going to enhance the value prop and broaden the product offering. And we're going to do a pull a 180 on marketing strategy and we're going to grow revenue three and a half times 
cost effectively. What was unexpected for us uh, and what we didn't forecast was ADR to be down 18%, an average booking value to be down 25%, and average length of stay down 8%. This is in our portfolio relative to 2022. <clears throat> and so we had to make some changes. And I think, Steve, you had mentioned this. A lot of aspects of what we were doing were different. You know, Ben was the founder, and he built an amazing company with a foundational product and go-to-market strategy. But we decided, uh, and then I decided to do things differently. And we ultimately got there. We had to make some adaptations during the year together. Uh, but I'm so grateful for the partnership we have with him. He's made it easy uh, for me and the team from a transitional standpoint. But it was really important that I think to some degree we're we're kind of all hired to accelerate the commercialization of the business from product development through the value creation and uh, you know liquidity for shareholders and and he's just made it really easy for me and we had a great team as 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 many of you know and I'm excited for what's to come. All right, interrupting the roundtable here, we had an amazing hour, but I want to give a shout out to our sponsors at Hostfully and Hudson Creative Studio. We talk about product, we talk about a lot of these things in this roundtable. But when it comes to product and design, it needs to really work. And what I love about Hostfully, it works for the operators. And what I love about Hudson Creative Studio, not only does it also work for the operators, it works for your guests. When they are booking direct on your website, the booking engine is clean, slick, and smooth. Love it. Hostfully, I can't complain. They have so many updates and features, their mobile app to their calendar synchronization to the marketplace, all the above. It just really works and it's easy to use. Once you figure out the little nuances of workflows and all the other things, you should have no issues and their onboarding is great. So for all of our slick talkers, grab the links in the show notes, sign up for them today. Make sure that you let them know that we'll send you and back to the round table. I love that. And, you know, going into now Demi, I think, you know, you kind of had a similar expectation too, right? You were COO before getting the CEO role. So you kind of knew what you're getting into. You saw behind the scenes, you know what's going on in the business. You weren't like Steve, who was like, Googling OTAs and RevPars on the first day. So <laughs> were, were there anything like from your point of view that you expected that did go the way you expected? Like that was like you knew going in and it stayed that way. Yeah. So I promise I was also Googling things on my first few <laughs> days. Um, but I would say the moving into the COO role before taking on the CEO role was super, super helpful for me because I was also coming in from outside of the industry. So having that time to kind of get up to speed, not only on the business and on the AirDNA team, but also learning the industry, starting to get those industry connections, meeting people at all the conferences was incredibly valuable. Um, and others have kind of said this as well, but I think for me, it was also incredibly helpful to have the partnership that Scott and I developed where having him in my corner having him kind of be bought in to me as the future leader and setting that tone with the rest of the team was really helpful. And he helped me learn the business. He kind of told me what I needed to know, taught me who I needed to meet um, and gave me the kind of good, bad and ugly. Not that there was a lot of ugly to be clear, um, but that was super, super helpful for me. Um, and then I would say it also opened up the opportunity for me to basically focus my first few months on listening and really learning rather than being in that leadership role and needing to make changes and set the direction. So for me, that foundational time to be able to kind of endeavor to listen and endeavor to understand rather than coming in and saying, we're going to change this, that, and the other was really useful to build relationships with the team. I love that. And to go with the guns or the hired gun theme, I guess, like not being guns blazing on your first day, uh, is probably a good thing to earn trust and build culture, which we'll get to in this roundtable. I took a couple notes while you guys have all been talking because there's been a couple of things that popped up that maybe I didn't pre-plan for. And we'll get to throughout this roundtable discussion around, you know, going from one to 10 instead of zero to one. Uh, and then also around working with investors or a board. Uh, versus someone like me who's completely 100% bootstrapped and has no one to answer to except for myself. I uh, would love to hear some advice around that because I think it's something a lot of founders in our industry, this industry is very founder heavy, right? A lot of the companies, it was hard to find you guys for me to grab this round table, to be honest. Like I knew Steve, I knew Demi, then forgot Matt was, was not the founder. So I was like, oh yeah, should have probably Matt and then David. So like it took a while. There's a lot more founders than there are CEOs. So to go into 
to something that I wanted to segue into. I'm really passionate about this year, especially on this like podcast and in our discussions is design and tech and the way that the product is shipped. So the way, like one reason why I'm glad all four of you are on this is because I admire the product and the design, the functionality. I think Wednesday is well put together. It's well designed. If you're comparing it to other OTAs, it honestly does compete and beat a lot of the best. Like I've used it. I've seen it as a guest and as a host. So like really admire that and explore the same thing. Like you guys' technology and the way you guys have pretty much encompass the whole management ecosystem for your clients is super admirable demi with air dna like the things that you guys have done and the product that you guys have continuously updated operto i'm a customer i love the ecosystem that we get to have so all great products right like i can praise you guys this whole round table which i won't because then you know i'd have to send you my invoice later but um <laughs> basically is like i find design in our industry especially on the technology side, to be kind of rough. Like it's very rare to find good companies that have good tech with good design. And so I'm curious for your guys' perspective, you know, what does your tech stack look like? Because I don't think a lot of operators or maybe other people in the industry understand that a tech company has a tech stack. Uh, It's not just a bunch of coders, you know, coding things. And then I also am very curious around, you know, if the tech is great, but the design is bad, then basically your tech is bad because the user experience using your tech sucked. And I think you know that overall to the manager is what matters. If they can't use you, then there's no point of having the tool. Um, so I'm very curious on how you guys all see product design and the technology function. So I'll let anyone take the floor. And if no one grabs it, then I'll just start bowling one of you at a time. Yeah. I. I... I think, I mean, we've gone through this pain for, you know, I think that that was probably one of the biggest pains when I joined and sort of things that we looked at was, you know, how do we, how do we make our products better? I mean, it was, I think that back in the day, very sort of this pre-COVID, very boot bootstrap cowboy, kind of cowboy coding, you know, you're, you're just like, people would just buy from you because there was limited competition. Uh, there wasn't a lot of choice. It was pretty cheap and people had to do something to automate their 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 businesses. But as we kind of progressed and came out, coming out of COVID, that hall pass kind of went away. And so now we've got new competition. You've got uh, you've got more of a savvy buyer and you've also got like professional managers who like really appreciate good design because at the end of the day, like they're not necessarily a super tech forward user anyways. And then especially like in our space where we've got like, you know, a cleaning and housekeeping and maintenance module, like you're, you're looking at sort of a, a, a very unsophisticated end user potentially that, that you need to be able to design great product for so that they can use it to, to, to do the things that it was intended to do. So, you know, I think we've seen like in our business for sure, a, a huge shift on the UX side around, like we have to build products that are not only like high impact, but they are super usable. Um, and, uh, and we've been, we've got punished for that, uh, quite badly. And we've put a lot of sort of time and treasure into, into figuring that out for our customers. Cause it's, it's really important. Yeah. What about you, Demi? You said, uh, it looks like you have, uh, some thoughts and ideas. So would love to hear from you as well. I do. Yeah. Time and treasure definitely resonates. Um, but I would say, I think it's pretty common that a founder-led bootstrapped business has the founder as the product visionary kind of decision maker as to what we're going to build and how it should look. And I think one of the really critical pieces of our role is recognizing at what stage of a business that doesn't work anymore when you really need to scale. So one of the things that um, we did pretty early on and one of my first hires that I brought on was a chief product officer recognizing that it would be super useful with the kind of aspirations that we had for the business to have someone who's a professional leader with a long career in product and engineering to be able to put in the structures and processes and technology uh, that we would need in order to accomplish some of the things that we had big aspirations to do. So I think the product redesign that we launched last year, which was kind of full facelift to the entire platform, changing the way that our subscriptions worked, 
changing and having kind of a design first mentality was all made possible first by bringing on the right talent that was going to be able to kind of bring everything to ha together, hire the product managers and hire the engineers that we would need in order to execute on it. And we couldn't have done it if we hadn't brought in that leader first. Yeah. You know, Will, one thing though, that I think is important, especially for founders out there is, and I would guess it's true of all four companies. I know it is of Explory though. I think the great companies, that's the, that's the progression, right? Because the, the original product had a market fit. It was clunky, but it was, it was solving a problem in our industry. And then it got prettier, you know, the UX, the UI, you know, not going to throw anyone under the butt, but I, I, I do think what we've seen a little bit since our industry has boomed has been some companies have tried to flip that on that on its head and designed really pretty products, but I'm not sure what problem they're really solving or if that's really a problem in the industry. So I do think it's important that while, you know, yes, it is very tough to get adoption if it's if your if your tech is hard to use, it's even harder to get adoption if your tech doesn't solve a problem that or or at least it doesn't solve a problem in the eyes of your user, right? That that's not a problem or it's not something that they lay in bed at night or they're losing hours to. So I, I think designing to some extent, designing pretty really usable um, tech, less clicks to get to certain places is a privilege of companies that first figured out how do I solve problems that people are facing? So it's just, just a perspective on that. Oh, I love that. I love that. David, any comments from your side? Yeah, well, um, you know, I, I, I would say, you know, we're, we're an OTA. And so half of our marketplace is consumers facing and half of our marketplace is business facing. And so there's no such thing in our world as great tech and bad design. If it's bad design, it's bad tech, full stop. And so now we're super, super early in, in our in our progression of what we're doing. But what the way we've approached it uh, is that um, someone at some point said self-awareness is the first step towards enlightenment. And we have a group of things that we need to build that will make us different and better than the competition. The list of things that we don't do well relative to the composition, we got to figure out how we do that tech stack front end, you know, all of the components that we need to do it. And so we, we focus our energy, Demi, you mentioned around, do we have the people in the building to do what we need to do? Uh, and do we have also the right people in the building to make the right decisions on the infrastructure to support it? And so we have our whole company across functions, not just engineering of let's be all be able to say the same thing on what makes us better, what makes us different. We're all, we all have a part in it. The product development team has a part, the engineering team has a part, the customer service team has a part, the account management team has a part, the risk management team has a part, and the sales and business development team uh, have a part. Uh, but it's the focus of the team is really on those things that we do really well. It's a smaller list. And then it's on, it's also up to us to kind of figure out how we provide the infrastructure to support it. All very well said. And I'm curious, just out of hearing all of you guys talk about this, was product design or the product, like, product itself a decision maker before any of you decided to join the companies that you're at uh, did you get to play around with the tools did you ask customers did you talk to team anybody go through like any type of product vetting process well, one thing i would say you know the company's been around and my, my experience it sounds like is a little bit different than um than matt your experience or, or, or demi's experience is i had seven or eight years of of really relevant experience in a former life that was really relevant to what Ben was building. And so we brought together kind of a complementary skill set in that regard. And so early on, we actually had a really constructive discussion about the product, what it was doing, what it wasn't doing, what we did over here, what the, as the other folks did over here that didn't work, what these other folks did over here that really did work and tried to take both his his uh, experience as a founder and building this kind of amazing foundational thing and then understanding what in, in, in this former case, HomeAway and Verbo did along with processing payments for thousands of, of property, uh, vacation rental property managers. And so we, 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 we started having that discussion before I even joined the company. And I think it helped uh, kind of kickstart, you know, what we were doing uh, uh, initially because of that. 
I mean, on my side, I would say I'm actually glad I didn't play with the product before I joined uh, <laughs> because I probably wouldn't have. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I did. I, I'd say that tongue in cheek. Um, the, for me, and I think this goes back to Matt's point earlier, is it's far more important that the company has product market fit than you've got some Lamborghini that has no engine in it, right? Like it really, it comes down to that. Like you can make anything pretty. There's lots of amazing UX folk out there, but if there's no engine, there's no engine. And so, you know, for me that that was the most critical piece was like, does this company have like, is it scratching someone's itch out there? And are there enough people with the same itch that I can go and find them all? That was really, that was the decision-making criteria. And I was like, oh my God, like this massive market with really bad tech and it's so underserved. And we have like, we are selling picks and shovels to the next gold rush. Like, let's go. And that was, that was for me, was like, I didn't care what it looked like because I, you can always make it look better, uh, but you can't you can't find a product market fit until you really have it. And that was, that was critical. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Couldn't have said it better. And I think the, when you can identify that there's a clear need and there are things in the product that don't look very good, I think that actually screams opportunity. So one of the things for me that appealed about AirDNA is I think a lot of people when they're thinking of AirDNA are thinking of the subscription platform where you can subscribe to um, different levels of the software product. But one of the things that jumped out to me when I was joining was we had an enterprise business where we were selling CSV files. So Excel files to various enterprise customer types. And I think, I think that's an amazing example of the product is clearly not what customers want and is clearly not what they would expect. Mm -hmm. because they're expecting software, they're expecting something sleek and amazing, but they're willing to pay for something that's a CSV file with the information that they need. So to me, that was just an absolute flashing light of opportunity that if we could build a sleeker product, the need was there and the demand was there and that we could be successful doing that. For sure. Yeah. You know, you know, Will, for, for me, because I think I'm the only one on here, we're we're probably, we're definitely a lot less of a true SaaS product than the other three on here, right? We're more of a, I mean, when when we're honest with our, ourselves, right? And we look in the mirror, we're kind of, we're a heavy tech enabled business. And so I had the benefit of, we didn't have any tech, like zero. And it was working right now. You couldn't, he, we were in like three markets and, uh, but yet it was still working. And it was more about, okay, what type of, to, you know, how do we build tech to enable this to really scale? And I think everybody here would probably agree that's not a, that uncommon when you look at founder led businesses, right? They've proven out that product market fit. And it's it, it's groups like the, you know, people like this whose job it is to come in and go, okay, you know, like you, I've rarely, I've never come into a company that's got, oh, yeah, we got all the systems and processes, like they're all documented over there. Like there's no, but, but you don't expect that in a founder-led company, right? Again, they've figured out the product market fit. It's this job, it's this team's job, right? To go, okay, how do you scale it? And so that was more of my interest was, okay, can you build tech around this to really scale it? Or, and there's some great companies that are built that just simply aren't scalable. And, um, and I think too, you gotta, you gotta be honest when you look at that, which is, you know, does this really grow? Not everything grows with tech. Um, there's some property management companies. I think that may figure starting to figure that like, just cause you build tech around, it doesn't make it instantly scalable. And so you gotta be careful there too. A really, really good point. And Kelsey behind the scenes will tell you for sure. There's no systems or processes behind the scenes of a founder led company, or it's just a lot of Slack messages. Um, but I actually do have a question for you, Matt, cause with Explorer, I do know you guys have a hardware and a software component. Most of the hardware, I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, we can always take this out of post-production, uh, but most of the hardware is not Explorer hardware. It's either powered yeah. by like yeah. Amazon Alexa. So how do you guys go about when it's not your hardware that you can control? I've listened on other podcasts, like great software is 
powered or not great software sorry great hardware is only great when it's powered by great software so how does Explory approach that when it comes to the software and hardware component especially when it's not your hardware built in-house yeah you know we really view the hardware as as the delivery mechanism of the software and you know we've been very careful we've got a great partnership with with amazon um and their alexa product but you know we've been very careful and very strategic in building um software that is agnostic to the hardware um or at least can be if we need it to be and so you know you've got to you know you've got to be careful there we don't want to get into the hardware game um that's another thing that I think being a hired gun part of your job is to figure out almost more importantly is who do we not want to be when we grow up? Um, a lot of people focus on who do we want to be, but the more important question sometimes is who do we not want to be? And uh, we certainly don't want to be a hardware company. And so, um, you know, we've kind of developed that, but we've developed it from the standpoint um, of, you know, what, what do we do if our hardware supplier, you know, goes away or if there's a better hardware supplier out there that fulfills the needs of what we're trying to do in a, in a, in a better way. So I think you just have to be, you know, careful as you're starting to scale, you're still a startup and you've got to be nimble and you've got to understand that the ground under you is, is still not, you know, it's not real steady. And, um, and that's okay. You're the person whose job it is to get it from point A to point B. I, I've told people, if I'm here when Ex Explorey's three times the size of today, Explorey's probably not, I'm probably not the right person for that job, right? Because, you know, when, you know, that's managing that company is very different than managing the company we are today, which is very different than being founder led. So it's, it's just kind of how we think about it. All right. And now Matthew Loney and I just mentioned, you know, hardware versus software. And in a recent episode with Nils, the founder of Minute, we talked about the same thing. Hardware should really only be great because it has great software backing it. The hardware powers and enhances the software. If you have great hardware, but bad software, then overall the tech is not great. And Nils and I talked about this, but we also talk about it here in this round table. And the thing I love about Minute is that the software is really great. The hardware is really great. It's reliable. It's consistent. It doesn't break. And Minute does it well. Most companies can't do both. So when they have such a great software like Minute does, you have everything at your fingertips on your mobile phone. Whether you're a in-operation market, like where you operate in this destination and you have density there, or if you're remote like our company at Recreation Rentals, we definitely depend on Minute and love the ease and access it gives us. So get two months for free in the link in the show notes and let them know that we'll send you. And of course, back to the round table. Yeah. I, I think on our side, I mean, we're, uh, we are the hardware connector guys, right? I mean, that's our business. And so, you know, I, just to reiterate what Matt just said, I mean, we, we spend a lot of time and effort on cultivating amazing relationships with our hardware suppliers, but it by no, by no, uh, we, we do not want to touch it. I mean, like literally I remember having phone calls when we were raising our B round and, you know, you go through a lot of calls. Right. And it was early on. And I put on one of our, like on one of our slides, like, Oh yeah. And like, you know, maybe like down the road, maybe we'll like get into the hardware game. And it was like, get to the end of the thing. And the guy's like, uh, I'm going to give you a piece of device right now. He's like, if you're trying to arrange venture money, and you put even the word hardware into your deck, you, you'd like literally disqualify yourself from all of Silicon Valley, like all of New York. He's like, no one will touch you with a barge pole. And so he said like, you know, where you're sitting in between the user and the hardware guys, he's like, stay in that lane and figure out how to make that two lane highway you're on a six lane highway, but do not touch it. And, and so I, I like I obviously took that to, to heart and then killed the slide. And then, um, you know, and I, I kind of knew that already, but like it was really like quite eye opening to see like not only from like the venture side, like how like ugh, they were to anyone touching hardware, but 
it's a really difficult game and like software and hardware like yes they they work together but like man is that diametrically opposed businesses and so we've been very very careful to uh yeah not go there no i i figured you would be the other person to chime in because i know you guys aren't hardware as we were at str wealth i was telling everybody that came by your booth like oh they're not a hardware company they're a software yeah. they're going to connect you but people still didn't get it sometimes i had to explain to one guy i'm like these locks do not go to Operto. These are Yale. This is August. This is not Operto. They just connect. Yeah, he, for yeah sure. it took a while to connect. Yeah. But um, I'm I'm very curious. So this is going to segue. Like I wanted to go into like what you guys thought about the landscape of our industry when it comes to, to tech. But for the sake of time, I want to move on to another piece. And see, I think you kind of mentioned it perfectly. I know of obviously AirDNA, Operto have made acquisitions in the last year, last two years hell, last month and a half. Um, I don't know about uh, Explory and Wednesday, but I'm curious for all of you, anyone who wants to chime in, how do you know when to build a product or to buy? Demi? See if you laugh. So, um, <laughs> one, of you, one of you guys can take it. <laughs> I'm happy to go. We're, you know, we're, 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 we're a little bit uh, uh, earlier. Uh, and so I, I'll, I'll echo back to kind of comments I made earlier. It's really simple We, we uh, for us, which is, which is to say, that focus on what we do better and different needs to be scaled to a point. Uh, we need to have a certain market presence and a certain um, uh, a certain number of integrations and properties and all these things uh, before we would think about you know buying something else. Um, and also, we are we feel really lucky in the fact that we think we've you know been identified a really large segment of the market that was unserved. And so now it's uh, it's really kind of incumbent on us to go kind of serve that market before uh, before that uh, we would start to think about uh, that uh, part of the equation, which probably comes down the road more so. You know, someone looking at uh, our type of company versus vice versa, given how, given how the OTA landscape is set up. Yeah, I was gonna say you have a very interesting business, David. So like, not interesting business like you are an OTA as you stated, but that world is so it's so different. Cause like, there's not a lot of M and a, in my opinion, there's a lot of capital raising, but not a lot of M and a. Yeah. And the, and the, the businesses themselves have been built, built up through acquisition over, you know, over time. And, and what was mo most interesting to me and, and still is, is that if you're any, whether you're a property manager or property owner, that property is priced differently on every platform based upon the guest service fees that are charged and the commissions that are charged and everything else, uh, involved, uh, with, uh, which OTAs allows which host fees on which site, which are very different. And so it's kind of created this dynamic to uh, to attempt to create something new. And that's what we're doing. I love that. And Demi, I would love to hear your thoughts because obviously the recent acquisition of Uplisting, which we got to cover on Good Morning Hospitality, anyone watching or listening, link in the show notes as always. But uh, yeah, Demi, go ahead and give me your thoughts on Builder Buy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's definitely something that comes up every time we're making an acquisition. And at this point, we've done it twice. Um, but I think when you're in our seat thinking about what you think would be really additive for your business, I think first and foremost, you want to make sure that you're having that conversation and really being strategic about whether something would push the envelope for your business and is something that really makes strategic sense for you to either build or buy. I think the build versus buy question to me comes down to a couple things. One is speed. So can we wait and build this in-house or is it something that we think would accelerate our business so much that an acquisition would actually take us three years further down our path uh, if we could find the right business to buy? The second piece is opportunity. Not every business is for sale. So even if a category or product feature or platform is something that would be useful, you might just, when you're mapping the market, identify there's not somebody who we could buy based on the valuations of these businesses, based on whether founders want to kind of get to the next round of funding or take the business to a certain level. Um, so even if you want a business, it's not necessarily something that you can get for the right price. Um, and then the last thing for me is really right to win. So I think when we were thinking about some of our acquisitions and potential acquisitions, when I'm thinking about things that our team could build, I want to make sure that if we're getting into something that's adjacent to what our core competency is, I think we have the right team in place and the right talent and the right expertise that if we were to build it ourselves, we can win. 
So one of the advantages to buying in that situation is you're bringing on the talent and the expertise and the relationships, um, and that has a ton of value as well. So if we wanted to build something that's really specialized or where those relationships are really critical and already established, that would uh, have me lean a little bit towards buy rather than build. Yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> Demi and Steve probably, yeah, they, they are, have a lot more to contribute that, to this probably um, than I do. But I, I will say, here's my first rule about buy versus build. Do not listen to your engineers because they will never buy anything. Like they can always build it and it'll just take six months, like, you know, because they're, that's what they are, right? They don't want to hear that we would need to go out and buy someone else's tech. Oh, I can just build that. And um, so you got to be careful because it's always going to cost more than they think. And they they say that from a place of love, I think. But, um, and you want some arrogance with your engineers, but you have to be careful. <laughs> um, the, but the other thing I will say from past experiences, not exploring is, I think people often underestimate the difficulty of merging cultures. So, you know, yeah, there, and I totally agree. Like, it usually comes down to a speed question. How long would this take us? Right. And, um, and, and how much would it cost? And then what's that value of money today? If we could have it right now. Um, but there is just because you then own it today, doesn't mean it, it immediately is, you know, integrated with your current tech. Um, you know, you got to take into account how long that's going to take. How much tech debt does that other group have? Sometimes, you know, you do your best due diligence, but there's always rocks that don't get turned over. And you later come in and you go, oh, my God, you know, we bought that and now we have to deal with that. So I, I think that is often... That that would be the one warning I would have is just you've got to do really good due diligence. I think that's where PE backed groups are really are have 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 an advantage because they can turn that over to their PE group and they they don't have to then consume the day to day of your operational people that are keeping the existing tech moving in the right direction. They can run with it and you can come in at the end. So just be careful there. Cause it is, if you haven't figured out what your own culture is and what that mission is and everything else, bringing in more people and adding on more things, isn't going to just solve that problem. Yeah. yeah. Very um, well said. I mean, we've been, on a bit of, we've been on a bit of a, a buying spree, I guess. Um, yeah. From where I sit, it's yeah, totally. Um, our market is moving so fast. Okay. And for us, when we look at Guesty, Host Away, you know, like some of these guys are raising insane amounts of money for two reasons. One, well, one reason is to acquire companies and then probably to IPO. Right. And so for us, it's, it's a speed game now. Um, it is who are the folks who are going to struggle to pick up funding, but have built amazing tech. And yeah, like sometimes for me, it's like we could have probably built DAC in nine to 12 months. We don't have nine to 12 months. So we bought them, right? Like it was not a huge amount of time, like holistically, but it, like it just made sense for us in terms of where we need to get our product to right now so that we can enter the markets that we want to be entering and, and to sort of serve our customer base. So for So that really, for me, comes into comes into it. I think merging of cultures for sure is a big thing. Obviously, we like we picked up a company in Spain, right? I mean, talk about different cultures from Canada to, you know, the interior of Spain. Uh, so that like, you know, lots of lots of challenges there, but like everything takes a couple years, but it's, it's all gotten uh, really well now. But for me, yeah, I think especially in short-term rentals, it's like what it looks like right now is not going to, what it's going to look like in February of 2025. And so, and you're going to see a ton of M&A this year, tons. I mean, like, I've got three or four that have already hit my desk like in the last two days, plus people looking to put money in. Plus like, there's just like the market is really picking up right now. And so for me, the one thing that we as CEOs, whether you're a founder or you're hired or whatever, is you don't have the luxury necessarily right now of time, because I think that things are moving at such a clip now that um, it's not a, it's a land grab, but it's not like, I think it's an important time to be making moves. Uh, and that's kind of my my approach to it. 
Very well said. Any other comments before we move on to that next? I couldn't agree more with all the things you guys said. It's pretty interesting. So I this wasn't kind of like my planned script, but it's been mentioned a couple of times on this roundtable. So it's kind of a two-parter. We might just need to separate it into com, uh, two completely different questions. But you guys have all mentioned, you know, zero to one, right? And one to 10. So I definitely know I am a zero to one founder. I am trying to become a one to two. Still really hard for me. I, I'm better at starting things. Than I am scaling them. What advice do you have for founders out there that are trying to either A, find a CEO and a hired gun, or B, get out of that phase of the zero to one and kind of push their their limits into that two, three, or four? I mean, I, I would say just to kind of, from my own experience, I think it's much, once you get outside capital into the business, it fundamentally changes forever. Like there's, it will never be the same again, whether that's PE money, whether that's VC money, whether that's, doesn't matter. Uh, once that, um, once an, an agenda comes into the board boardroom with like, we've got a seven year fund, we got to like, this is where we're at, you know, these are the expectations, la, 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 like it changes your business. And so I think that like the one thing I would just caution or also like just make sure that everyone understands is that, you know, if you feel like the next thing that you need is capital to grow your business, then by all means go down that road. I think if you, the longer you can bootstrap and the the bigger you can get without taking that, um, that, that injection of capital, I think it gives you more optionality uh, down the road for whether you just bring in someone who's, you know, from industry, whether you like, like there's just so many options on the table. Um, don't be so quick to, to take, to take that money because sometimes it's, it's a good thing to, to hold off. Well, question, yeah. this is open to everybody. This could also go to Steve, anybody, but, um, does one to zero or one to 10, sorry, does that mean you have to take outside capital or is there a scenario that involves just bootstrapping all the way? Well, I, and we're in a situation, uh, uh, you know, we haven't uh, raised institutional capital yet. And so uh, we're going to see how this goes. We're growing the business. Um, there are lots of directions that we can take the business, um, particularly in this market environment. My, the advice I give to myself is uh, go as long as you possibly can to grow the business without uh, that. Right now, we, have a we already have a founder and a new person in. And so, A, it just makes our dynamic you know, obviously a lot easier, but it also just makes the decision making in general, as long as we do have enough capital to fund what we want to do. So, our, you know, our objective is to, you know, go as long as we can um, uh, in that regard. It, it, it provides tremendous flexibility. But I'd, I'd also say, too, that that partnership is so critical. It sounds like we we all have really good experiences in that regard. You could also go the other way. Um, and I've seen it go the other way uh, in many in many different cases. And so whatever time is required to bake the partnership that Demi's built and, and, and the rest of the team has built, Without that, there's really nothing at all. And so the you know, best advice I would give to folks is to the extent that it's possible, spend however much time as you possibly can to make make sure that you you think alike, that you understand roles and responsibilities, who's going to do what to who. Uh, and you think about strategy and outcomes, too. We, we have a lot of conversations internally, even though I'm not the founder, that that really that um, were you to kind of be a fly on the wall, it sounds a lot more like a partnership. Uh, than it does, uh, you know, an app, an at will employee talking with uh, with the uh, founder and controlling shareholder. In terms of the advice that I would give a founder, I think a founder who is motivated and genuinely wants to grow and be there beyond zero to one from one to 10. I think it's the mindset and the willingness to kind of be humble and recognize these are the things that I'm strong at and these are my areas of weakness. And so I think if someone has that motivation and can take the fact that it's gonna be really hard and require growth in areas of weakness or bringing in other people who have strengths in those areas, I think people can make it work. And I think the two things that I would recommend people think about is one, getting a CEO coach, because I think it's really difficult to do that on your own and to see your own blind spots. And I think getting that feedback from your team Having a coach help you incorporate it and figure out what you can actually do to make those changes is probably smart and probably something you should do before someone else tells you that you should, because uh, I think that's a sign of a problem. Um, and then the other thing is 
I ask myself this, and I think it applies even when you're the founder of a startup, but what is going to break in the business when we're double the size? And what is going to break in me as a leader when we're double the size? What is the thing that I'm going to need to work on or that is going to be the most challenging for me if we were to have triple the number of customers or double the number of employees. And I think thinking about that before it becomes a problem gives you time to kind of get to the point that you would need to be in order to, to be successful and lead a team in a business of that scale. Yeah, Will, Will you asked, um, an interesting, yeah, do you have to raise capital? Um, you know, I think it depends on what success looks like to you. Right. If six, because I do believe what Steve said is rightly at some point. I mean, this industry right now is moving so fast. Right. If you, you know, if, if Wednesday wants to become the Airbnb of last minute rentals, right. I, I'm going to tell you that's going to take outside capital. It just, like, you're not going to bootstrap to get to that size. But I also think that right now, in this industry and in a lot of industry, like growth is seen as success and you got to be really careful with that. Some of our most successful partners manage 250 units, not because they couldn't manage 500, but, but because they figured out that, you know what, we can make about as much money managing the right 250 than 500 and my life's a lot better. And what I measure, like my definition of success is this, this, and that, like you can get to that level, you know? So I, I do think it's, you know, all these answers have been around honesty with yourself. And as a founder, I think sometimes that's difficult because, you know, you've kind of taken on the world by yourself at one point there, that's the definition, right? You were by yourself, taking on the world. And, and then you got to start to then understand, okay, I need help here. I need help here. Now I need outside capital. And, um, and frankly, I, I'm sure there's people much better than, than me, but most people that takes outside people to help them see that as good as you can be, you know, and really, you know, being honest with yourself, like you need some outside opinions on, Hey, would I be good at this? Right. Could I do this? And so, um, you know, I, I just think you've got to, you've got to have those tough, this, those tough conversations when you're, you know, when you're sitting in a, um, in a, in an, in an airplane or a hotel room and you're all by yourself, those are the times to kind of have them. And there's different forms of capital. It doesn't necessarily need to be a traditional right. venture capital investor. There's, there's lots of, there's lots of different ways that, uh, certain companies are able to achieve the same end, but um, still maintain a little bit more operational and financial flexibility than they might otherwise with a, a different type of uh, investor set. Love that. Well, these are all great, great answers. And I want to be respectful of time. But one question I did really want to ask and kind of get all of your guys thoughts, because I know I'm, I feel like I'm I'm a lot closer to obviously Steve and Demi in the sense of I've had you guys on multiple times, Steve way too much, as I said in the beginning, but like, in the in general, I know you guys very very well, Matt. I haven't talked to you in quite a while, but like always, I'm watching from afar. David, I'm an admirer from afar as well. First time getting to have you in a virtual setting when we we're supposed to meet at STR Wealth, but next time we'll we'll get it. Um, <laughs> it's all good. Um, but I'm just you know one of the things I we're an all remote team. Hospitality FM is all remote. Austin, Texas, LA, San Diego, Denver, you name it. We're 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 spread. Um, how do you guys look at culture? And I know there's a lot of founders and CEOs watching right now on LinkedIn. I'm seeing a couple of people chime in here. So we'll hopefully get to questions if anyone has them. But when it comes to culture and, you know, there's full in-office, which Steve, I know you guys have that in Vancouver. You have an in-office uh, scenario, hybrid, you know, schedule, maybe one day a week. Um, but then there's hybrid and then there's fully remote like us. How do you guys manage culture and leading the team, especially when you're not the founder and any advice for anyone listening and tuning in when it comes to this kind of, you know, new age of remote work and potentially commercial real estate going out. This is, it's kind of crazy, right? So we'll have anyone's thoughts. I mean, for us, we've gone to a fairly in office routine, uh, to be honest. I mean, the expectation we've got a nice you being here before I and mean, we've got a great office downtown, like all the amenities, all the trimmings, all the things you would, you'd want. Um, 
but where I think we we've found our greatest success is that when people are in the same room on a whiteboard, they're more effective than they are through a computer screen. And I, I, I would challenge anyone to prove me wrong. I think, you know, there's something about having that human connection and that actual, you know, where people are like, yeah, you're just, you're physically there. Um, now I do, I do think that there's a time and place for remote work for sure, but for, for us, and also when, when I look at the average age and sort of experience of our, of our uh, team, we've got a younger team. And so I think for a lot of folks, it's their first, second, third job coming out of college or whatever. And so having that, that closeness to leadership, I mean, I'm sitting in my office right now, my door's open 24 seven, like the, the co-op student that's here this semester could walk in and just start talking. Like it's, there's something to be said with about the accessibility and availability of leadership, um, being in the vicinity of people who are, are sort of your engine room. And so we've taken a, you know, we trust everyone. They, they can work from home, but there's just a general acceptance that our best work has always come when we're together as a group. And, uh, and then that's not always possible. We have, we do have remote people in the U S and all over, but for the most part, like 80% of our teams here in Vancouver, and I probably see 80% of those people four days a week. Uh, I love what Steve just said. So let me be, uh, I will tell you, there is no question that companies are better in person. Like it is, you cannot, when it comes to strategy, when it comes to, you know, um, developing culture, it, it does not, it just, it's like Steve said, you, you can't, I'd love someone to prove me wrong. And I think the CEOs that are out there saying, Oh, we're doing, you know, just as, you know, just as strong of work fully remote as we were They're They're lying and they're doing it because they, that they need to get now. Here's what I'm also going to say. They're doing it from a chairlift somewhere, Matt, because they're taking yeah, the day off. Right, right. Pay no attention. <laughs> I haven't been to the office in four months. Now, that being said, though, let me be clear. Explory is almost fully remote. Here's why. I also know when I'm in a fight that I can't win. And right now, we, we're based in Destin, Florida. I struggled before COVID to get talent the talent I needed to go out and compete. And really at this stage, it's all about the people because you're still so early on, the people are going to make or break you. And so what we realized was, you know, what I've realized is, okay, I'm not going to win that. So I'm not going to go out and die on that sword, but I do want to make it clear. Like if, it, if anybody asked me, we are better if I had my entire team in one single building five days a week, not four, five days a week, not hybrid. It's just how I feel. Um, so then the question goes, okay, if you're not going to go out and fight that fight, then what do you do? And, and I think that's still, people are trying to figure it out. A bunch of people are probably going to laugh at me. We, we have tested now and we're, we're continuing to test VR. And I will tell you that I think it is 70% of in-person, 75. If I put zoom and Google meet at 50, so I've got right over here, I'm sitting in the Atlanta airport, which says this is done. I'm going to put on the massive goggles. You guys are going to laugh. And we're in there in Avatar sitting across a conference room table. I've got 15 employees. But we're trying to figure it out because I've got to have the talent, but I can't lose the, you know, what Steve's talking about, that energy, that, you know, just the back and forth that happens. And so I think um, I think technology is going to help us get there. I don't think we'll ever re go back to fully in office, um, but I also don't think we should. As CEOs, we're not we're doing all of our industries a disservice by sticking our head in the sand and going, no, 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 we're we're just as good remote because I just don't believe it to be true. Mm -hmm. Anybody have a counter? Yeah, David, I would love to. I mean, I, I, same. I mean, I I I agree with everything. Um, uh, that that Steve and, and Matt, you just said, there, you just can't replicate it, particularly at our stage. The learning, the teaching, the iteration, the the ideation that's required. And no, and you talk about culture. You know, we're having we're going to have a you know sixty minute meeting on product launch of X. The culture stuff happens after and before the meeting, typically. Uh, and so, at least in my uh, experience, now having said that. We have 95% of our engineering team offshore. This goes back to, okay, the, you know, we, what it's all, 
I start from the place of what's best for the business at this point. And I, I kind of, you know, uh, agree with what you said, Matt, like there's no, there's no alternative at the moment for us because we're doing what's in the best interest of the business. But I could see clearly the stuff that we're missing mm-hmm. and the gaps that we have as a result of what we're doing here. And it's just, for us, it's, it's just more a question of timing and, and scale and size to, to, to get to a place where, and it doesn't need to be everyone, but there's no question that a certain number of people need to get, in my opinion, need to be together a certain amount of time. Uh, for what we're doing and particularly at our stage where we, we don't have uh i think someone mentioned earlier we don't have all the pro this is how we we, we do things at Wimstay, and we have the processes documented and this is what we do that like we're we're making that stuff up uh we're documenting that stuff as we go as well and that it makes it harder when people aren't aren't uh aren't in the same room yeah i i struggle with it personally like my whole team is like i said is remote i wish we were in denver or you know whatever more often because i do see when we're at a conference that collaboration, that energy, you just can't beat it. Like I come home and I'm like, dang, I, I, I look at office space. I'm like, should I get an office and like fly everybody out once a month? I don't know. Um, but Demi, you have an interesting situation. You're in New York. You have an office here in Denver. I love getting to visit the people, uh, especially when you're in town, you and Jamie Lane, my favorite people to see, uh, see and visit, but would love to know, like, how does that work for you guys, especially with an office in Spain? And of course, trying to respect everyone's time, but I'm just, yeah, this is something I think a lot of people are struggling with in our industry specifically. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to take a slight, slightly counterpoint to the rest of the group. Um, I agree. I love the in-person time. And I think the whiteboarding kind of ideation, brainstorming, culture building, social stuff is way better in person than it is remotely. I think the reason that hybrid works really well for AirDNA is in part because from the very beginning, we've had two offices. We have an office in Denver and we have an office in Spain. And many teams who work very closely together have split teams across the Denver and Barcelona offices and also work with others who are not based in either of those places and are fully remote. So what I think makes it work is we do get together in person when we can. I go to the Denver office, go to the Barcelona office. We have mechanisms for people to travel between the offices, kind of one-off or for things like our sales kickoff um, to get the entire sales team together. But I think part of the other reason that hybrid is working well for us is we have set up certain just ways of working and norms to make it work because we already have that office structure. So as one example, I think one of the things that is the weirdest when you have people in person and other people who are dialed in is when a group of people are sitting together in a conference room all in person. And then there's a couple floating heads on the TV screen. So one of the norms that we have at AirDNA is even if you're sitting with everyone in the conference room, you still log on to the Zoom call individually so that your face is also up there to kind of equalize that experience. So we do things like that because I think for being attractive to the best talent, as everybody I think mentioned, you have to have some flexibility, but I think it actually is working well for us because we get access to the best talent. Our employees love a hybrid work environment and we've put in place some of the things that I think make it work better than on the surface if you were just set up to kind of optimize for in-person. Yeah, so it sounds like hybrid is kind of the best of both worlds with you know, not having to limit the talent. And like Matt said, fight that fight of getting, getting everyone in the office, but still having that, I don't know. I miss the in-person stuff. I definitely, uh, my friends can tell when I've been locked in my, my office way too long. So it's, uh, definitely one of those things I think really, you know, makes a difference in culture and overall productivity. Um, but really quickly, you know, shameless shout out to you, Steve, you got third out of 1500 startups in Canada and Forbes for culture and all that. And yes. I think that's, that's, that's a big accomplishment. That's, that's huge. 1500 startups and you're third, that's awesome. especially recognized by Forbes. It sounds like that can't be done just being remote. Like you have to, you have that 80% in office. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think it's hard to get people to, talk your company up to external people if they don't if, like I, I i think it must play into it for sure i mean i do love i mean honestly i love that point that demi just made around like everyone logging in like if there's one thing i've learned today i think that that's an amazing thing um just to kind of equalize the room and stuff because i sometimes feel it's like us and them if they're not you know necessarily in the office um so that kind of kills that off that's that was super cool 
yeah, listen, I think I think it was it was great for us. Obviously, it helps attract talent. It it does, you know, um, it helps in all these kind of uh, things that you can't really. Just, it's hard to put a number behind it. Um, but it's something that you know we want to continue to work on, and I don't think we've necessarily gotten it completely right. But I think it's again. And I think this was the, the point that Matt made is like as CEOs, especially like where most of our companies are in terms of our growth trajectory, like it's all about the people at this point. Like I spend 80% of my time now, like literally either looking on LinkedIn for new people, or like, like there's, it's like, it's like my job is to now move the pieces around the chessboard as much as it is to like, you know, do anything else with my day to day. Cause it's people that power the business and it's, and it's, the people that set the business up for success. So like invest in the people. And so anything I can do, or I think that we can do as CEOs to, to, to do that is, is going to be just a, a net net gain for our businesses. I wish I had more than just an hour. And I obviously wish I could just have you guys on for another two hours uh, to <laughs> geek out about all the other things that may not have been able to be, be covered. So maybe, I don't know if you guys are open for it. And for all the listeners, if you guys want a part two, we we get a, a round two going in the near future. But thank you guys so much for taking the time to to jump on and to share some of the insider secrets that I know I'm going to be taking notes of and applying and going to be sharing throughout. But uh, I want to make sure you guys get those, you know, those shameless plugs and, and shout outs for all the listeners that are tuning in. I'm going to link everything in the show notes for you guys, specifically to your websites, your LinkedIn profiles. But if you had one place to send anyone listening that maybe had more questions about something you said, et cetera, where would they go? And we'll go, go ahead and start with David and we'll work our way through to Steve. Download the app, go to wimstay.com. Get your deal. <laughs> yeah, Easy. Uh, questions, yeah, questions uh, for me, LinkedIn. I, I, I respond really quickly and I love LinkedIn. Um, I think it's a great place to, from a business standpoint, to meet people. So please reach out to me. I'd, I'd love to chat. I'm sure I'm going to get a bunch of hate mail about my position on uh, remote work. So that'll be fun. <laughs> we won't cancel you this, uh, this soon, Matt. Promise. Thank you. We'll give you a little Thank bit more. You. Be, yeah, he had such potential. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Demi? AirDNA.co, not .com. Don't get confused. I wish. Yep. Easy. Easy. <laughs> one day we'll get we the, are, the we .com. Are, I think we're one of AirDNA's newest customers, so uh, I can back up. It's an amazing, uh, amazing company. Stoked, stoked to work with Demi and her team. Uh, yeah, we're Operto.com, O-P-E-R-T-O.com, automation for your property management companies. Yep. And I, I use almost every one of you, Matt, we need to talk and get you guys implemented into our management company, but every single one of you guys are awesome. I love the products. I love the design. I love the teams. So thank you again so much for taking time to be on this round table, to go through my rambles sometimes. And, you know, Steve for being the butt of my jokes. I appreciate you uh, receiving that all the time. You guys are great troopers. And for all the listeners, make sure you like and subscribe to everybody on this panel. They're amazing leaders and experts in our industry that I think we could all learn from and as we're continuing to learn and build in this industry. Uh, so outside of that, thank you guys so much for tuning in. And we'll see you on the next roundtable and next episode. Thanks, Will. Take care, everyone. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to our show partners for making Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, possible. We hope you enjoyed the show and we would love to connect with you outside of the podcast. So you can follow us on all of our social media channels for daily hospitality content or find us on slicktalkthepodcast.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and we will see you guys all again next week.